On the Empire Podcast this week, Nicholas Holt drops by to talk about his new film, Kill Your Friends, peen on James Corden, and he comes up with a new pod jingle along the way. Plus the usual movie news and nonsense on the podcast. I can't wait to terrify people by dressing up as Mike Myers for Halloween. Uh, don't you mean Michael Myers? No, 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 I'll be uh, going as a love guru. <laughs> yeah, truly, truly terrifying. Hello, pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. And yes, it's Halloween, which means... Only one thing. That's right, it's Halloween. Unbelievable. Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Watch the Magic Pumpkin. You guys know that? Anyway. You are the only big Halloween 3 fan I'm not, here. I'm not. I promise you. I promise you there are other Halloween 3 fans sure. out there. Uh, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Uh, this week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal and terrifying cunning. First up is a man who will be going trick-or-treating this weekend. It's the scariest Jurassic World character of them all. Forget the Mosasaurus. Forget the Indominus Rex. He's going as Edmund. It's Nick Desimlian. Uh, spooky Edmund. <laughs> spooky. He's essentially Edmund, but with some cobwebs on him. Ooh, that does sound scary. <laughs> That's amazing. 89% of listeners have no idea what we're talking about. Long-time listeners to the Emperor Podcast have no idea what you're talking about. And people who are listening for the first time have no idea what you're talking about. But okay, uh, to put some context, uh, Nick cameoed in Jurassic World. Starred. As, as <laughs> you say starred. I say I say cameoed um, as Edmund in one shot of Jurassic World in a crowd scene. Yep. Edmund is a British tourist who goes to Isla Nublar uh, to pick up some ladies and gets involved completely off screen. He's the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of Sounds Jurassic really World. really seedy now. <laughs> Except yeah. with less, li- fewer lines. So. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he got in some spooky adventures, hence yeah. the cobwebs. Which yeah. will be seen in Jurassic World Edmund Adventures, the spin-off show coming to CBeebies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I genuinely would love to see. Uh, next up, you've heard her already, is our resident geek queen, a lady who won't be going trick-or-treating this weekend. Uh, she's going Sam or Deaning instead, <laughs> which is where she goes to people's houses, asks them, Sam or Dean and then if they don't understand she invites herself in and makes them watch Supernatural from the beginning again which I think is is a fair thing to do isn't I it I mean Helen that, that sounds yeah. great and I feel like people would be really educated by that because then they'd know when yeah. haunted you need to find the bones and salt and burn them by bones we <laughs> literal <laughs> bones literal <laughs> actual bones, okay, actual right. bones. Yeah. I've never I've got to confess I've never seen an episode of Supernatural is it a scary show at it all? is actually genuinely a very scary show at times like not always but it can be truly creepsome because but of the abs because of there are no abs I keep telling you they don't take their shirts off I've written in to complain and everything <laughs> they never take their shirts off almost never Okay, all right, there we go. Uh, my favourite is Sam, by the way. Oh, you're so wrong. Or Dean. There you go. Whichever one's played by Jared Eccles or <laughs> Jensen Padalecki, one of those two. Uh, right, as you as we've said already, it's Halloween. Are you going to keep playing that? Oh, yes. <laughs> Which means it's time. Time. Time to watch The Magic Pumpkin and answer your questions about scary films. Um, we have a whole bunch, well, three questions about scary films because we've, we've answered loads over the years. Uh, here's one from at Song Warmonger who asks, who or what is your favourite scary female? Oh, on film. Uh, I'd go with Julia from Hellraiser. This is a song one warmonger. Uh, or the Alien Queen. Mm. Alien Queen's certainly pretty darn scary. I think my scariest ones might be some of the more ghostly ones. So obviously Sadako from The Ring. <laughs> <laughs> Late, the woman in black. 
um, who is uh, I, I call her Ruth she's just Ruth. she's really lovely actually when, she, you, get wait, when you get to know her well yeah. I don't know I mean I've just never spent that much time with her so I, I just find her truly what frightening what do you mean you don't spend much time with her Helen she's behind you right now <gasps> Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness, that's not good news. I, the, no, even in the even in the the stage show, she's terrifying. I've never seen the stage show. I really Doesn't want to see the stage show. From behind, she just suddenly appears in the crowd, right? She's. I, I mean, I'm, I was I was up in the gods, thank goodness. Yeah. So she didn't appear behind me, but you could just hear the screams <laughs> and the, and and it gets to the point where literally, when nothing happens, you get really tense because you're like, something's happening, and I just don't know what it is yet. Oh God. Mm. So yeah, um, those ones are the ones that really get under my skin mm. well it's got to be the Dilophosaurus um, <laughs> I'm not just saying that because I want Chris to do his Dilophosaurus impression again oh god alright do your Dilophosaurus like I, like I don't have it ready at the top of my head <laughs> oh alright then alright this is Dilophosaurus it's a largely visual impression it However, works so well though yeah one day if we ever do another live podcast uh, I'll do it for you guys <laughs> despite repeated requests <laughs> not to I will do it because you spray the gunk everywhere and you, do, you, you commit <laughs> um, I don't know the, the first thing that popped into my mind is from my favourite film of all time Raiders of the Lost Ark because mm. the answer to what is the best anything you can pull from that film yeah that's probably but, true but near the, you know right at the end when the, the ark is opened oh, yes. and, and you know the, the sort of angelic figures are floating around and then oh, their faces yeah. start melting. That is almost that for me was scarier than the faces melting. Yeah, yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, it's really terrifying. Or the angel transforms. Yeah, and yeah. just goes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and everyone's screaming. And a precursor of Ghostbusters library ghost a few years later. Yeah, yes. I was just thinking that as well. Mm. Yeah. Who gets a backstory in the novelization? Really? Yeah, because I was reading up on it uh, for uh, for an article, and she gets she gets a kind of an erotic backstory. We were talking about the Ghostbusters novelization in the office this week because people might run in to correct me if I'm wrong because this is a childhood memory. We were reading Chuck Wendig's Star Wars novel. It's written in the present tense, mm-hmm. which is something I've seen very, very rarely. And one of the only books I'm Helen, obviously you've read probably 35 books today already. <laughs> so you'll, you'll correct me on this. But the only book I can really properly remember being in the present tense was the movie tie-in novelization of Ghostbusters, which clearly some guy had just been throwing the script and he just went, ah, well, that's in the present tense, so I might as well. Oh. So Finkman picks up his proton pack and walks to the door and it just really annoyed me. Huh. Even back then but I might be misremembering the Ghostbusters novelization it's a bit gonzo isn't it it's uh, I can't guy, remember all I can remember is it really pissed me off <laughs> it's called uh, Ghostbusters the Supernatural Spectacular and yeah it was written by a guy called Larry Milne Larry and, Milne who also wrote some other tie-in stuff as well yes and he just went a bit nuts I think and just added a lot of background detail which is not not necessarily sort of approved by anyone involved in the film but I do remember the, the library ghost has a, an erotic backstory involving sexy wood carvings wow. so pick that up Ooh. You can buy that on Amazon or eBay for like 10p. So my favourite scary female is Mrs. Baylock in The Omen. Oh, Billy, yeah. The late great Billy Whitelaw. Just terrifying from the off. So terrifying from the off, in fact, that you do slightly question Gregory Peck when he just kind of doesn't fire her immediately because <laughs> she's clearly evil and up to no good. But the bit where she, spoiler alert for a movie that's nearly 40 years old, the bit where she pushes Lee Remick out of the window in the hospital to her death and she approaches very slowly from behind and the music goes all dominoes order a sizzler it's it's that still absolutely terrifies me and there's no makeup involved there are no demonic voice there's no contact lenses involved there's no prosthetics it's just Billy Whitelaw setting her face to insanity levels and uh, and off she goes so yeah 
Mrs. Baylock for me. Along the same lines, Mrs. Danvers I was from, right, yeah. uh, from Rebecca. An amazing film, one of my favourite Hitchcocks, played by Judith Anderson. She is scary. As yeah, heck. she's terrifying. Despite not quite being actually demonic at all, really. Well, we, she might be. Or is she, etc. Yeah. It's just, it's that, it's that uh, figure again who sort of has the kind of the power over you and has you in their grasp a little Frawl. bit. Controls your environment. You know, it's Nurse Ratchet, I guess, as well in Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest would be the same sort of person. Annie from Misery Annie Wilkes yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, currently terrorising Bruce Willis on Broadway Kathy Bates is uh, you know I haven't seen the, the new stage version but I don't know how you're going to beat Kathy Bates in that Laurie Metcalf's doing it at the moment isn't she Officer Bruce Willis yeah I'd love to see that if I ever got to New York and had a ton of cash which is uh, all very <laughs> unlikely are we honest. counting Christine the car <laughs> no. <laughs> no 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 yeah okay so we said female Christine Christine next you'll be telling me Chitty Chitty Bang Bang's not a person I would never tell you that it's interesting isn't it the cars are always women they're always given female names Herbie Ooh, holy shit you've blown this wide open <laughs> instantly you've just you've just absolutely stopped me in my tracks <laughs> which other, apart which from other, the most famous movie car of all time which, Chris. Other, which other female cars are you talking about no just generally speaking uh, growing up I knew people is... who would name their cars and they were always female but were the people naming their cars men oh they were demented are these people but you also knew men. in yeah. real life yeah. yeah this is worrying but it's the same reason that you know they used to give ships female names or, or refer to them as she okay it's because it was men doing straight men doing the naming. It's making the banana and the tailpipe scene and the hill's got getting a whole new spin. By the way, last week we were discussing great movie scenes set in stairwells and it all got very messy and we couldn't decide what a stairwell was and what a staircase was and whether we would allow indoor staircases or outdoor staircases and so as a result we forgot to mention tons of great movie stair scenes. Thank you the 745,000 people who wrote in saying The Untouchables. We kind well, I, of did skirt around it, didn't we? It was we? in my mind but I didn't say it specifically because we discussed We discussed Battleship Wells. Yes, and we discussed Battleship Potemkin and we disqualified it, which therefore immediately, in my mind, disqualified The Untouchables. Well, no, I mean, I knew The Untouchables was inside, but I was saying, well, a staircase is like Sunset Boulevard, therefore we're not talking about that. Yes. And therefore, for me, The Untouchables follows into that staircase thing. A stairwell to me is a room that literally only has stairs in it. Yes, I agree. So that's my excuse slash reason. I agree. A couple of people, I'm just going to very, very quickly go on this one. A couple of people said, a lot of people actually said 28 days later in the sequence where they run up the stairs to meet Brendan Glee. And then uh, got the stairs barricaded off against the uh, the infected. That's a that's yeah, a really that's good, good staircase. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. Home Alone one and two. Comedic genius says Dennis Dubrock. John Izzard has said, "What about the Jones boys escape from Castle Brunwald in Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, the last Indiana Jones film?" That's fantastic. That's and, good stairwell. Yeah, that's good stairwell. Yeah, I find if I just sit down and think, the solution presents itself. All that sort of stuff. All good stuff. Tony Charles Warrior King says five hard film show. Surely the greatest one shot stairwell. I'm doing this Connery again. One shot stairwell action sequence. Right, saying that when you're drunk. Surely the greatest one-shot stairwell action sequence. Wow. That's what, There's a that's, sentence. That's what the Warrior King. He the Warrior fights King. fights the stairwell, doesn't he? The Warrior King. So yeah, thank you for sending in all those. And we, we knew about the Intouchables. We just deigned not to mention it. Right. Two quick questions and then we're going to move on from Halloween. Thank you for sending We We got loads of Halloween questions. We just chose three because we've covered a lot of stuff in recent years. So here's one from at Latsledge1981. What scary films stuck with you from childhood that no one talks about? Mine, Latsledge, mine is Lady in White starring Lucas Haas hmm. I don't know that yeah I don't know this either because I was too scared of scary films as a kid to watch many the one that sticks out to me but everybody talks about it is Watership Down which I still I'm not sure I choose to watch because it's still really really unpleasant the scenes with the rabbits getting buried when the bulldozers sort of destroy the war and are just some of the most traumatic terrifying scenes ever committed to film for my money so yeah that that completely did my head in when I saw it as a kid bloody hell Phil and I were not really allowed to watch 
uh, scary movies. <laughs> so I'm still kind of catching up on all, all horror stuff. I'm nowhere near as big a horror buff as you, Chris, or a lot of other people at Empire. But yeah, Return to Oz is the one that oh, sticks yeah. in my head. And I, I was allowed to watch that because it was a PG, but it shouldn't have been. The Fools. It should have been the X. The Fools. Because <laughs> it's, it's really frightening. There's a guy who looks like Lee Hurst who who's, uh, rides around on weird, he has long arms with wheels at the end of them. <laughs> And it's a terrifying movie. It is a terrifying film. Yeah. Also, weirdly enough, Sleeping Beauty, the uh-huh. Forest of Thorns. Yeah. That image, for some reason, just scared the living crap out of me when I was a kid. Just absolutely just got to me. It was like, oh, that, I don't, why would you go? I don't understand. Why don't would go you go in, in there? there? Yeah. Don't go in there. Bad. Look, look at it. It's yeah. all spiky. Look at this. She's evil. She's clearly evil. What are you doing? I'll quickly run through a couple that stayed with me from childhood because I was allowed to watch horror films. And quite often, my mum and dad didn't know we were watching horror films. I mean, it was okay. It was permitted. But I always have these images, these memories of going into video stores, ask your parents what those are, or or Google it, but going into video stores and just being transfixed by horror film covers mm-hmm. and horror film posters. And some of the most enduring images, for example, the poster for Dawn of the Dead or the poster for Squirm, the, the killer worm movie, which is not that good. They just stuck in my brain. But scary films stuck with me from childhood that no one talks about. The Medusa Touch, Richard Burton film, which he plays a man I who can that predict a the future. Ago. has a really creepy, unsettling ending as does a really largely terrible film called Harley Quinn which starred Robert Powell and again it had the end of that film there was a there was a shot at the end of that film of a clown type figure I won't give too much away but that always just terrified me that just stuck in my mind and I would say probably there's a film called Superstition as well which scared the living bejesus out of me but uh, it's, a, it's a witch slash haunted house movie it's worth, worth tracking down actually I'd say Superstition that kind of stuck with me The Witches oh, The Witches yeah. Uh, yeah Horrendous Yeah I saw that last year on Halloween Day, actually, again, for the first time since since I was a kid, and it's still terrifying. Angelica Houston. I got really frightened by Blink when I first saw it. Blink? Does that count? The Madeline, the Madeline Stowe, Stowe thing. I don't know why, because it can't be scary, can it? <laughs> I don't know. I can't Madeline remember. Stowe, and she's losing her eyesight, and there's a serial killer stalking her. It really scared me. Oh, my God. I don't know why. I think I'm just scared of Madeline Stowe. <laughs> I'll throw one more in very, very quickly. It's a film called The Evil, which stars Richard Crenna, which is about as terrifying as that sounds. But when you're a kid, I thought it was terrifying. It's about a group of researchers or a group of scientists or something who go to a, a house and you never guess what there's a trap door in the basement and they're told not to open it because ooh bad things will happen and of course they open it and it lets out Satan who's been trapped in there is essentially the plot of Prince of Darkness which is a much better film but they let out Satan and evil things start happening to them and then at the end of the movie Richard Crenna and the female lead whose name sorry I can't remember descend to the gates of hell to meet with Satan who is a little chubby fat man and it's largely terrible but there is a, a scene where a man drills through his own hand because he's possessed nothing good has ever happened by opening a trap door to a basement no just nothing good don't, don't, don't do it don't open it don't yeah. do it don't buy a house with a basement yeah don't have basements and no. just wipe them all out wipe them out right last question is from at JFG in digital 3D who says what film has the scariest most haunting score I'm going to be Johnny Generic and say The Exorcist can I be Jenny Generic and suggest <laughs> Halloween uh, yeah of course you can I want to give a shout out to John Williams's amazing haunting score for Brian De Palma's The Fury which I actually think is way better than the film the film has is, is got its high points Kirk Douglas is great in it and it's got an awesome exploding head at the end it does for me it's all about that score absolutely love it so yeah go on YouTube have a listen and a rare non-Spielberg John Williams score as well yeah very good very very good indeed and then of course there's other ones obviously you know Goblin's Suspiria theme and most John Carpenter stuff is is very very good as well but yeah I don't know what is the the scariest most haunting horror movie earworm do you guys know no I can't think of anything can you think of anything as well no nothing comes to mind make it stop 
Okay, so if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, then you can send it in to us via the usual methods. We're on Twitter at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us where we're Empire Magazine, of course, and you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. If you didn't get round to your Halloween question, there's always next year, so just don't die between now and then. Right, you know what I'm thinking, Helen? What are you thinking, Chris? Now it's time for movie news. No. Movie news. No. Movie news. Now it's time for movie news. Empire Podcast. I feel like I'm trapped inside your head at the moment, and it's <laughs> It's horrible. It's a terrifying it's such, place. Did you guys is have, this tune constantly playing in your mind? It's constantly playing. Have you seen Halloween 3? You should I check it. No, yeah, no, honestly, no. it's terrifying. It's it's the one film in that franchise that doesn't have Michael Myers in it. Groovy, baby. So it moves away from that sort of stuff and flopped monumentally as a result and then they went back to Michael Myers but it's it's really, really good and creepy. And it's about an evil toy maker who wants to take over the world and end the world essentially via the medium of evil toys and toy masks and stuff. And that Halloween TV commercial plays all the way through and it's, it gets in your head man it gets in your head so check it out but yes movie news <laughs> is, is there any or should we just I'll just play this again shall I oh my god uh, no no don't don't god we'll find some ah! <laughs> okay okay I've got some news I've got some news please don't there is yet more news of the girl on the train which is fast becoming the Steve Jobs of a steady stream of casting news so we've had replacements in the cast we've had Justin Thoreau step into the role that was originally going to be Chris Captain America Evans which mm-hmm. is a, a slightly not obvious substitute I will say they don't strike me as having exactly the same energy so it's an interesting recasting but fine now joining the cast which also includes of course Emily Blunt Rebecca Ferguson Hayley Bennett and Jared Leto as well as Throw is a hell of a cast it's a hell of a cast it's Alison Janney aka CJ Craig which is always good news the suggestion is that she's going to play a police detective so this is yet another great addition I think to that cast Tate Taylor is obviously directing he's the guy who did The Help and Get On Up Aaron Cresta Wilson wrote the screenplay it's based on the incredibly popular best-selling book. It's definitely going to be one to watch out for, I think. Why did Chris Evans drop out? I don't know. Okay. Should we ask him? Yes. Siri, call Chris Evans. No. No, it hasn't worked. It's just okay. not my work. But you're right. I think Justin Theroux is an interesting one because you're right. He doesn't tick the same boxes as Chris Evans, does mm-hmm. he? I mean, he's a very good actor, obviously, but he's older, yeah. for one thing. By about, what, 10 years? Probably. You know, not as big a star. I think that's that's fair to say. Is he the lead? Is he the, the, the male lead in the film? I think it's a very much a supporting role, I think, to the women in, okay. this, in this particular case. Well, it's, it's certainly intriguing. I've got some demented news. Yes. Michelle Rodriguez is going to star in the new film by Walter Hill. Have you heard this? No. no. The plot is as follows. There is a guy whose enemy basically drugs him, gives him over to a surgeon played by Sigourney Weaver, and changes him into a woman. I've seen by, that movie. Played by Michelle Rodriguez. This is essentially Walter Hill remaking Johnny Handsome, isn't it? I don't know. There's, okay. a, there's another movie it's a remake of, but I don't want to say what it is because it's a spoiler. Really? So there are already films with this plot? Because that seems like a crazy plot to there, me. There is, a, there is a film with a person who is turned into a woman without his without consent. consent yeah. yeah. Anyway, Michelle Rodriguez is pissed and the, the <laughs> sure. film is, the film is called Tomboy, comma, A Revenger's Tale. Ooh. So I'm on board. Revenger is a good word. Like I don't Revenger. think enough people yeah. use Revenger. Because it's not a real world. Well, I mean, there, there's that as well. Well, I think it might maybe once have been a real word. It feels a bit medieval. Revengers resemble. <laughs> uh, I'm intrigued by that. That's, yeah, but Johnny Handsome was a film that Walter Hill made in 1989 start Mickey Rourke as a man who is, it's not the exactly the same plot, but he's a, he's like a, a criminal who's left for dead and disfigured by his partners in crime including Alan Barkin and Lance Henriksen and he's horribly disfigured and then he gets plastic surgery and he ends up looking like Mickey Rourke who back then that was a good thing to do and he goes on a kill crazy rampage and he, he works his way back in with them and it's it's okay but this seems to be a, like an even more demented version of that mm. yeah cool I'm on board and that's just reminded me what happened to that Expender Bells movie which was floating around that was going to have Michelle Rodriguez and Sigourney Weaver in it yeah I think I mean, it's still possibly floating I'm not quite 
quite sure about. I that think one. someone in Hollywood is just staring at a laptop. It's just got the word <laughs> the word expender bells on a word document, and he's just sitting That's there it. staring it's at a, it, going, it's I, a got nothing, "I got nothing, guys." It's a floater, all right. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and someone's desperately trying. It just won't go away. I yeah, I don't know. There's one with expendables four, but it's interesting that the, uh, this week the raid remake seemed to completely fall apart, where it lost its director Patrick Hughes, who I thought did a decent job in Expendables three actually, and it lost its you know it's losing stars left, right, and center. So it had Frank Grillo and Ethan Hawke and people like that attached, and it just seems to be slowly slowly fizzling. Mm. Which on one hand is fine because we always will have the original, and it's one of the greatest action movies of all time, and that's great. I thought I would have quite liked to have seen what America would have done with it, and Frank Grillo, frankly, would have been perfect casting. I think he would have played the building. <laughs> that would be great casting. <laughs> he is very tall and iron-like. He is. Um, there is a, a, a kind of horror-related news, I guess, in a way. There is a Lizzie Borden film being developed. Now, there was a TV movie last year with, I think, Christina Ricci. There is now going to be another version. It's as yet untitled. It's described as a psychological thriller rather than a horror <laughs> from Belgian director Peter Van Hees. And Chloe Sevigny and Kristen Stewart are apparently lined up to star. So the, the story goes, basically, Lizzie Borden was accused of murdering her father and stepmother. And she was actually acquitted in the end at trial. Axe quitted. Axe quitted. But she remains a prime suspect. Uh, there is uh, certainly one urban legend that she had a lesbian lover in the Borden's live-in maid, Bridget Sullivan. And the suggestion is that that would be Stuart's role with Seven Yee as Lizzie. So yeah, I don't know if that'll happen, but it's a, it's an interesting one. It also recalled to mind Kim Newman, the horrorologist of this parish, <laughs> once sent me a Halloween playlist, which includes the great, if you look it up online, it's online, Fall River Hoedown, which is a Hoedown musical number about Lizzie Borden. Wow, that uh, sounds amazing. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's a heck of a lot better than the Halloween 3 theme. Did he have, did he have that on? <laughs> No, he did not, Chris. No, he did Please not. Please help us. He did. <laughs> I've locked the doors. <laughs> I can't leave. He, it did also have the Dracula Cha Cha Cha, which I do recommend. It's Dracula. Yeah. Draclier. 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 Cha cha cha. And uh, hey, it's a good week for people who like more of stuff because there's more <laughs> stuff. There's more stuff coming. I love stuff. I know, it's I unexpected stuff. But there, there is more Paddington coming. <gasps> which is amazing news. Support that. Paddington is great and most excitingly Paul King is coming back for it mm. because I think he was kind of the magic ingredient in that yeah. that casserole that, that, that metaphorical that casserole of bear and marmalade, marmalade flavoured casserole yeah um, he aced that film I think it was just I, I went in not expecting very much and was yeah. delighted oh yeah magic I, I honestly I mean I'm a Christmas guy anyway I cannot wait for Christmas it's it's about two weeks to go uh, in my head perpetually and I honestly uh, my wife and I are making lists of films to watch at Christmas and obviously we've got the old Santa mental perennials like Die Hard and, <laughs> and Gremlins but Paddington which and is Jurassic not World a Christmas, now, a Christmas film remember? Jurassic World a Christmas film yeah I had an issue but with that Paddington, actually that God. said at Christmas and that freaking theme park an American owned theme park didn't have almost, any didn't tinsel. have any tinsel or Christmas trees like what maybe there was a kind of genetic hybrid tinsel dinosaur Ooh. That, that's that we the, didn't that's see. the sequel okay in that case I'm on board for the mm-hmm. sequel the Carry Bobblesaurus <laughs> the maybe Bobblesaurus. the dinosaurs were just pissed they didn't get any gifts so they that's why they were <laughs> and I could understand that they'd be like guys make an effort it's Christmas yeah. and there's, not, there's not a single Where bobble anywhere in sight yeah. you know yeah, yeah it's understandable there's Ash. also more evil dead there are more deadites coming yeah Ash versus evil dead has been commissioned for a second season that's correct now correct me if I'm wrong have we seen season one yet we have no. not no in okay. fact it's not even been picked up in the UK as far as I know it hasn't been no 
be yeah. immediately now. But yeah, no, no, we haven't seen any of it. Uh, it has screened somewhere, right? Uh, the first two episodes have screened. I think the first, certainly the first episode, is screened at certain festivals, and it's about to hit American screens. And by all reports, it's very, very good. They're half-hour episodes, so they don't say they're welcome, and they seem to know exactly what they are. And the first episode is directed by Sam Raimi, and it feels, and I haven't seen this yet, and it's killing me that I haven't seen this yet because I don't know if you guys know this, but Evil Dead Two is my favorite film of all time. I don't think I've ever mentioned that in the <laughs> no. podcast before. No, uh, and I worship Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell like gods, and I've lived inside their walls for many years without them knowing. And I really desperately want to see this show, and it's not happening. I hope every single episode starts with Bruce Campbell opening a trapdoor to a basement, saying, <laughs> "I'm sure this time it'll be fine." And then, and I'm in there. <laughs> Damn it, he's seen me. Yeah, but no, this is encouraging. Uh, we want to see it. So, yeah, Bruce, Sam. Oh uh, yeah, please, guys. please, that'd be amazing. By the way, going back to the Paddington thing, I went to the London Screenwriters Festival on Saturday because I was meant to host a panel with Bruce Robinson, but sadly he cancelled because he was he was ill. So I hung around and I watched a really interesting panel with uh, Chris McQuarrie and Eddie Hamilton, the obviously director and editor of Mission Impossible Five. That was great. And then I watched uh, a lecture from Paul King about how he wrote Paddington. That sounds and very he- formal. A lecture. But it's a Paul King lecture, so it was really funny. So he wasn't and, wearing a gown and a... No, he was wearing Paul King clothes, so slacks and a, and a nice jumper with a corduroy jacket, a brown corduroy jacket. Action slacks? No, they looked like from Next, but they were very nice. And it was a really candid, I think more candid than he was last year when he was promoting the film, more uh, lecture about how much trouble he had getting the script right. And he was really interested in talking about the tone of the movie and how he was really scrambling to find the tone. And then he watched Up and he just went, oh my God, that's what I, that's what I want, that, that thing that makes you feel which is you know I think Paddington really succeeds in that in that way so but hopefully now he has a handle on the tone that I'm really excited about Paddington too I just hope there's a story there because he said one of the problems with Paddington was trying to find a story because the books are so episodic and so short so how do you craft a feature length movie but anyway I just wanted to let you guys know that it's, uh, it was really good so if you can get to the LSF next year do so I also want to talk about Alice Lowe yeah uh, we're talking about Tomboy the Revenger's Tale and Alice Lowe is directing her first movie and it's called Pre Revenge, which is great. But it's not just about the title. She's directing this movie over the course of six days in the next couple of weeks while she's seven and a half months pregnant, which is commendable to say the least badass I think badass it's pretty much and word, all yeah. sorts of stuff I couldn't direct a film when I was seven and a half months pregnant uh, <laughs> so hats off to Alice Lowe it's really interesting because uh, Steve Oram's ah! which is currently out in video on demand and kind of it feels interesting to me that the side series duo are now kind of splitting off and both doing their own things and they're both absolutely demented so if you haven't seen ah have I, have I talked about ah in the podcast before you mentioned it I think but it's out people now. may not know a lot about it ah is it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen and I'm still not sure if that's a compliment but you really have to see it and it, I think it actually fits really really nicely for Halloween how many as eight. are in Thank eight days I mean it's going to come first in any alphabetical film list ma- ever made isn't it oh absolutely determined to, 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 g- to give you uh, just I'm going just very, very quickly to talk about it uh, before we go on talk about Prevenge but it's a conventional movie that's unconventional in, in only one way there's no dialogue. It's a family tale. It's a tale of revenge. It's a tale of two warring factions in a in a London suburb. But there's no dialogue. Everyone speaks in monkey talk and ape noises and oh oh hey oh. 
So it's uh, people like Steve Oram and Julian Ryan Tut and Toya Wilcox is in it and Julian Barrett's in it and Noel Fielding's in it, although they never they're never on screen together. And I, I sum up the movie this way: you'll absolutely know if this movie appeals to you if you see just one movie this year in which someone ejaculates over a picture of Prince Harry, and then in another scene, Toya Wilcox, the great '80s pop icon, takes a dump on the kitchen floor. Then ah is for you. So there you go. Seek it out. I imagine that's a niche but fervent <laughs> fan base there that you're talking about. It's because I only like one of those things. <laughs> Please so don't tell us which. I don't want to know. <laughs> It's uh, it's astonishing. You really have to see it to be believed. And hopefully Prevenge will fit into that same category. It's about a healthy pregnant woman who goes on a roaring rampage of revenge, isn't it? Oh, no. Killing spray, yes. And apparently her motivation becomes clear only as the film rolls on. So you don't necessarily know what she's up to at first. But I think it's interesting. So Lowe said, you know, people automatically assume you're a lovely person because you're pregnant. And I wanted to write something that defied that image of the pregnant woman as this safe, sweet, kind person. Motherhood is a crazy, interesting experience and it's rarely seen on screen. And that is true. Like, there are very, very few pregnancy movies actually mm. given how many people go through it and what a weird thing it is mm. so um, yeah kind of cool exciting yeah we really like Alice Lowe here she's great and uh, I will never tire of watching that episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place where she becomes a monkey <laughs> oh my it's god it's just amazing in it it's ah yeah ah. which also has Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding in that oh. episode The Apes of Wrath and some poo and some poo Everything's coming full circle. Amazing. One big bit of movie news to talk about, which is that the new issue of Empire has dropped like a bomb from the sky, but a, a good bomb, and a, a one you can read. And it's available in obviously in all good and evil news agents. And Nick, you wrote the cover feature this month. Tell us what the cover feature is. Yeah, the cover feature this month is DC and Warner Brothers' Suicide Squad. Bloody hell. Which is very exciting. We have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five covers, although you can only buy four of them. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth is a Jokertastic subs cover. But yeah, we have Will Smith's Deadshot. We have Cara Delevingne's Enchantress. We have Jared Leto's Joker. Never heard of them. Perhaps most exciting of all, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. My favourite of all the covers. That that one is amazing. She looks great in this. But yeah, I got to spend three days on the set in Toronto over the summer and yeah, saw quite a lot of stuff going on and quite a bit of that is described in the article. It's Jared Leto's first interview about playing the Joker because he went pretty deep into that one. And so he talks about that. He uses a rather colourful phrase to describe that experience for him. He does. Which involves the word prickhole. Um, <laughs> just thought I'd say it. <laughs> We're on a podcast, you know. Say it. <laughs> you could absolutely say it on a podcast. <laughs> I checked. <laughs> We've just said ejaculate on a Prince Harry for God's sake. I think I've done it again. Yeah, and you got David Ayer speaking very frankly and you know not so subtly taking a, a major swipe at Marvel. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've rolled which, up my sleeves, which I enjoyed. He's an amazing. Uh, he's an amazing guy to interview, David Ayer. He he doesn't pull any punches. He used to be in the Navy and work in a submarine and stuff, so he just doesn't care. And he'll say anything. And so he was he was very fun to talk to. It's a very, very good piece. As a regular listeners of the podcast will know, I've been 100% behind this movie from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> this is showing the way, I think, for me. I'm, 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 I'm more hopeful now about Suicide Squad. Than I'm now. excited because yeah. it is taking some major risks. And I think that's to be commended in this age where everything seems to be, you know, the budgets are getting so high and everyone is playing it so safe. And they're, they're swinging for the fences with this one. And it's exciting. It's a lot of characters that haven't been seen in live action before. So it feels very fresh to me. And then obviously a reinvention of the Joker. Batman's going to be mm -hmm. in the movie. So who knows? 
Will it be good or bad? Who knows, but it's going to be interesting to watch. Indeed. Cracking piece and good coverage. I really love that Margot Robbie cover. Yeah, that might fantastic. be because Margot Robbie's in it. No. No. I'm sure that's... No. That that's wouldn't sway your judgment, Chris. Come no, on. No, I'm, I'm better than that. She gave me a piece of bubble gum. It's very exciting. I'm going to keep it forever. <laughs> or until <laughs> it starts to smoke. Pre-chewed or no, fresh? No, no. Fresh in the wrapper. Yeah. Yeah. There's loads of other things in the magazine as well. It's not just about a suicide squad. So other features include there's a, a first look at Duncan Jones's Warcraft, which is very, very good. Exclusive images, exclusive set report from our very own Dan Jolin, who is a level 12 mage lock. I think 70. I think they're up to 70. Oh, really? Is a mage lock a thing? I don't know. But he's like, he's senior. He's a senior administrator. <laughs> he spends 60 hours each week mining for goblin dust. <laughs> That's probably not far off the truth. Uh, we also have a feature saying farewell. Katniss. Katniss Everdeen is leaving us with the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 and this is our final Hunger Games feature. And then we go into our now traditional Oscar special which is huge. Something like 30 pages dedicated to the movies that may or may not win Oscars come February. But we got features on The, the Revenant. Of course Alejandro G. Inarritu's very ambitious very audacious survival western which mm. has already as, as I'm sure you've heard attracted a reputation for having a legendary shoot not necessarily for all the right reasons. Uh, there's profiles of some of the actresses who may be in the frame, including Brie Larson, uh, who I saw this week, one Oscar prognosticator, mm. uh, say was the first lock I of, think she's the one to be the season. right now. Uh, so that's for Room. She's yeah. fantastic in that. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? I you are allowed idea. to say that. I, yeah, if I'm yeah, allowed yeah, to say she's that, a, she's I'm going to damn well say it because that's a great film and she's really, really good in that. So there you go. There's also Saoirse Ronan and Carrie Mulligan in that section as well. And we have a feature on Carol Todd Haynes' Carol, Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mar- there's a look at some of the directors that we think might be kicking up a storm over the next few months, including Tom McCarthy, director of Spotlight, who started the year by being the director of The Cobbler. Yeah, but we don't, we don't talk about that anymore. We don't talk about that. Because Spotlight is terrific. Yes. Then there's uh, Johnny Depp in Black Mass, which I think Joel Edgerton's terrific in. Then there's The Danish Girl, Alicia Fikander and Eddie Redmayne, and then we have focus on some of the actors who may once again attract some spotlight. So it's Brian Cranston for Trumbo, uh, Tom Hiddleston for the Hank Williams biopic, uh, I Saw the Light, and Mark Rylance, who is, I haven't seen it yet, but apparently astonishing in Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies, yeah. Uh, and then there's a big feature on Steve Jobs. I wanted not to see myself in that section, to be honest. You thought Edmund was in with a, well, I thought in Edmund, with a shot there? Yeah. I just well, I mean, in front is that mostly leading roles, and, and you're obviously you're up for supporting. <laughs> it's I a leading guess. role in, in many ways. I mean, in many ways, except for any of the actual ones. Sure, it's just a page page count thing. That's probably what it is. Yeah, that that that's what it is. <laughs> you are best Edmund in my book. <laughs> Thank you. And there's a, a bonkers feature on the bonkers film Roar, which is a film that uh, was shot in the 70s with Tippi Hedren and Melanie Griffith and real lions about a family terrorised by lions in the style of the birds, but they used real lions. Elsewhere, we also have a first look at Jessica Jones, a new Netflix movie, which is coming out very, very soon. We're going to have this month's pint of milk is Richard Armitage. I'm not going to tell you how hairy his backside is. He didn't want to tell us himself. Paul Bettany talks about his first movie as a director, Shelter. We have a profile of Corin Hart director of The Hallow which is a, a very good horror film for it, which is coming up soon Nick Frost undergoes this month's best of time is worst of time is uh, interview if you don't know what that is it's where actors and directors talk about the best and worst moments of their career and we have looks at Benedict Cumberbatch and the new Coen Brothers movie Hell Caesar as well plus all the usual reviews and nonsense and yeah because Chris always skips my section in this bit I'm going to give a plug for Lufa 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 in the back I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't always skip your cheap. section you're, you, you know you're the evident 
my heart. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it's a good Jurassic World thing. Uh, yeah, as well, yeah, we have an exclusive yeah. uh, Colin Trevorrow uh, viewing guide for Jurassic World where he points out, uh, it's a brand new interview, he points out all the little in jokes and bits of trivia and stuff which have not yet been talked about. Mm-hmm. And there's some good stuff in there. And uh, yeah, there is a loofah set visit. A loofah. 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 I mean, a Luther set visit, though, like, isn't that just, you know, going round a corner in London? It basically is that, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Helen. I mean, um, but no, it's exciting. He talks about the new villain in the next series, which is basically a computer-savvy cannibal. Because <gasps> they're the worst kind of cannibal. They are. Holy yeah. cow. Plus, there's a Empire Playlist, which this month is about movie shootouts. There's a great Hobbit trilogy quiz. And the crib sheet, which tells you everything you need to know about a film or a franchise, is Alan Partridge. Ah! So, oh. there you go. £4.50 in all good or evil news agents I'll give you a choice so yeah do go get it because you know it's really good and I gotta eat gotta eat you gotta buy more copies of the Halloween 3 soundtrack gotta buy more copies of the Halloween 3 don't I'll, I'll, I'll play it I'll, Why would I'll you play do it that? right so that's that now it's time to have a lovely guest Nicholas Holt you like Nicholas Holt he's a nice guy right he's lovely he's a good guy he was nice as a child star in about a boy he was lovely as Beast and, and the X Men movies, you take him home, you you know, introduce him to your parents, and he was just oh, just darn cheek tuggable as Nux in Matt Max Fury Road. Uh, he's just nice. He's a nice guy, but not in Kill Your Friends. He isn't because he plays a sociopathic record company executive who kills his way to the top and along the way pisses on James Corden. What a dick! I don't know. That's kind of like wish fulfillment for a lot of people. Um, but uh, he <laughs> whatever turns you on, Chris. Whatever turns you on. No, we like James Corden. And he came in recently to talk about the film, and I went long and spoke to him about relieving himself on Mr. Corden and much, much more. And during this, yes, he did indeed come up with a new jingle for the podcast. I'll leave it up to you to judge its merits. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined in the Emperor podcast. That's good. By Nicholas Holt. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> Should we just keep doing this until I'm we're only gonna make, I'm only going to make noises throughout the whole interview, if that's all right. Uh, that was your jingle. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like trademarked or anything. People can take it. And no, no, it shouldn't it. be trademarked. Sample it. It's yeah. sure to be a big dubstep hit in a few few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're, you're in London. Brief stop-start to talk about obviously Kill Your Friends in w- yes. which I imagine has a lot of headlines in waiting Nicholas Holt as you've never seen it before bracket small print if you've never seen Skins <laughs> but you've been playing a lot of nice guys lately was this an attempt with Stell Fox who is possibly the worst person on the planet to break the mould in a way yeah well I mean you know from previous times talking to you there's always a thing for me of trying to do different films and play different characters and you know push yourself and learn and, and try new things and, mm. and this is one that I, re- I read the script and I just found John Niven's writing kind of delectable in a way where yeah. it's that thing where he's, he's, he's very astute in his observations the, the, the character is aghast at most things um, <laughs> and, and finds you know things ridiculous yeah. the world he's living in but is yeah. also quite vile and has a real vocabulary on him which runs beautifully and it was, and it was just yeah. something yeah kind of exciting to, to try uh, at what point did it have you did it have you at the opening scene uh, not to give too much away but I think we can talk about it because it's the first 5-10 minutes of the yeah film. go for it why not you, you piss on James Corden. Yes. Now, you, now, it didn't say in the script, James Corden. No. It just says a character. But, a, ca- a character. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully played by James Corden. <laughs> well, a James Corden type. <laughs> yeah. um, but you, 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 there's, a, there's that scene, and there's a, an incredible rant later on about the record industry, which I thought might have captured your eye as well. Were there different points where you think as an actor, okay, yeah, I want this. No one else can play this part. 
Well, there was never a moment where I was like, no one else can play this part. Mm. Um, I must cer- have it. Uh, I, I, there were certainly moments where I was like, I really want to give this a go. And certainly the larger aspects of the character are, are fascinating when he does burst out because a lot mm. of the time he's very controlled mm-hmm. and it's kind of bubbling underneath. And when things escape him or, or start to spiral downward and he feels as though he's maybe losing, mm. <laughs> then he goes quite extreme and, and does break out. And those are always kind of fun things to play, the different sides of the character, but also like the witty kind of side marks and the speed of his you know he's quite a smart character and I yeah. think that's kind of you know he's, he, the thing the thing that I think makes you kind of enjoy being around him hopefully is that he's kind of right about quite a few things <laughs> not not everything some of the things he says are cruel and but you know some of the characters like James's character the reason why you kind of go well he, maybe he deserved that <laughs> is because he's not very good at his job and, and he, yeah, you know yeah. you sit there and he's he's a, a, an A&R music exec and all the thing and he's essentially meant to be a barometer for taste but at the same time he, he doesn't know that Paul Weller is a, is a singer-songwriter <laughs> Precisely. And so it's things like that that my character finds very frustrating and I think are also amusing from the audience's point of view because he is sometimes surrounded by um, not the smartest bunch. Yeah, but you're not, for example, advocating like we all go out and piss on our bosses if they don't I, quite... I can't condone it. I mean, <laughs> I'd be intrigued to see what the results are. Don't, actually don't. <laughs> I can imagine someone tweet, like, tweeting me or something in like a week and being like, ah, oh, I went out, drugged my boss and then pissed on him <laughs> and got fired. <laughs> what, what Some places probably get a raise it'd be, yeah, it'd yeah, be amazing exactly. at some point in your near future I imagine you're going to go to the States and promote this movie and possibly go on James Corden's chat show that's going to be weird isn't it well I've been on this talk show before but you haven't been on it promoting the movie in which you specifically piss on him no that's true it will be intriguing to see how we work around it I mean he, he, I think he's doing a great <laughs> job on that show and, and the kind of skits and bits that he does yeah. are kind of really on, on point and funny like the riding in the car yes. Um, yes. singing the songs and all that sort of that's stuff right. so maybe there's a way we can spin it where we do a live reenactment of the scene or something <laughs> and I'll make sure to have um, be well hydrated <laughs> so, the, so the show doesn't run long you don't want me getting stage fright and no you don't absolutely not when we've promised <laughs> not to freeze up to the audience I've just realised in the Three Musketeers as well he gets uh, crapped on by a bird so he's really running Did the he? gamut he does yeah poor guy his, his film career that is must just... be something that he looks for when he's reading the script <laughs> Goes to his agent. so obviously like, when I read the script and I was out like, within the first five pages I was like, yeah. oh, I get to piss on whoever plays that role. Yeah. He must have read it and gone, oh, well, that's for me. He rang his agent straight back after page three and been like, sign me up. They're like, do you want to read the rest of it? No, no I'm good. No. <laughs> Pissed on by a Nicholas Holt type. I mean, absolutely, <laughs> why not? Job done. Why not? Uh, you mentioned Twitter there. Uh, John Niven is on Twitter yeah. as well. He's funny on Twitter. He is very funny on Twitter. <laughs> He's a very funny man in general. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, his tennis commentaries, for example. Oh. <laughs> I actually, yeah, because I'm not, I'm not a huge tennis fan. Okay. But I did really enjoy reading his tennis commentary. Mm-hmm. It puts a real spin on the game. <laughs> what was your favourite of them? Um, anytime Andy Murray is involved, say. and we can't even on the even on the podcast as adult sounding as the Empire podcast, we can't quite repeat some of the oh, words. The language, the is language, so yeah. Good. He's really playful, I think, with his swearing, really inventive with his use yeah. of language as well, mm-hmm. and that comes across in his movie as yeah. well. Yeah, well, that's what that's the appealing thing. And, and Owen Harris, the director as well, was very clear on not wanting to make it a vulgar movie in a way, mm. or just using language and trying to shock people. Kind of then get offended and kind of it's a turn off. Whereas when you see inventive swearing yeah. and strings of 
language and using terrible things in comparison <laughs> to something that is completely irrelevant and things like that, that then has an amusement to it and a creativity, which is then kind of enjoyable, as opposed to just being kind of a, a lad's movie, effing and blinding and being, you know, we're going to do something that's this. That became, uh, is very unappealing, I think. In terms of this movie as well, you're executive producing it for the, yeah. you're for the first time. Yeah. What sort of executive producer are you? Uh, and what does an executive producer do? This is the big question. It's a very good, very good question. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it just means you're kind of involved a little bit earlier on in the process of getting the film made and stuff, I think. For me, it's one of the, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's nice that they gave me that credit, but also something that, I'm very happy being an actor. Yeah. Um, so it's not something you're looking to do. I certainly don't think that I'm any smarter than the rest of the people on set. Right. And, no, you know, there's times when maybe I have an idea and want to try something out. But a lot of the times, particularly, I don't know if you've read any other of John's books, mm. but I read one post making this movie. And uh, and it was about a screenwriter <laughs> and having to deal with dumb young actors <laughs> in, ho- in Hollywood more. But it was hilarious because I was reading it and there's scenes when, like, this screenwriter has to go and meet actors. And the book, luckily, was written a long time before I had met John, so it's certainly not based on me but it is that amusing thing where actors a lot of the time like sometimes I sometimes bear witness to it as well where actors are trying to give notes and stuff and you can just tell it's like there's either an agenda or and it isn't right or there's yeah. some strange thing that it's some it's more coming from a vanity place or whatever it might be than a story and character thing so I'm certainly someone who yeah lets people who, who know what they're doing do uh-huh. it and then occasionally I'll be like maybe this maybe that whatever but no but not oh, for okay. long yeah, no yeah. it's not yeah you were born on the cusp of the 90s and the film is preoccupied with the 90s so in the 90s and it's, it's full of 90s music yep. makes me feel really old <laughs> first of all but uh, you know what sort of research do you, are you a 90s music kid is this something that's very much in your wheelhouse or uh, is this I had to do a quiz earlier someone did a quiz for me oh my god on, on the 90s and they were holding up pictures and I didn't I mean I didn't recognise like the Backstreet Boys <laughs> and, and nobody recognised garbage and like okay. I mean admittedly What's the Story Morning Glory was one of the first albums I, um, I bought and still adore and then I remember sneaking into my brother's room when I was around that sort of age and like listening to his Walkman and he had like Fat of the Land the Prodigy album I listened uh-huh. to that and my brain being like wow what is this this is amazing ah. so yeah. it, that's amazing to have like tracks from Oasis and Prodigy like that people have kind of you know let us use in the film at discounted costs or whatever and, right, <laughs> because you know it's not a big budget movie and like Radiohead no, it's fantastic. Karma Police and stuff because yeah. they're you know important to set the tone of the movie and, mm. and, and what's happening and make it feel realistic so that's very kind of them to let us do that but in terms of like research for the movie I didn't really listen to a lot of 90s music because my character really doesn't care about the music that much yeah, yeah. as long as it's profitable so but how do you research something like this I remember asking Sam Neill one how he researched playing the Antichrist in uh, in Omen 3. Oh, I just went through the... I just went down to hell quickly. uh, I just leafed through the yellow pages. He said, well, it it was tricky because there aren't many of them around. And I imagine with something like this, I mean, obviously there are music executives you could talk to and and whatnot, but no one's going to come forward and say, yes, I am as bad as Stealth Fox is. Well, yeah, he is a blend of people that did exist. John Niven did work as an A&R guy. I mean, first of all, the book's written from Stealth Fox's POV. Um, POV, that's such an actor term. We're talking about a book. That's horrendous. Um, from his perspective, okay. <laughs> and and that means that from reading the book, and that wasn't always the case with the book. That it was it was originally written not from that, and then he switched the book around. That was kind of the key to unlocking the book, becoming what it is. Mm. Was writing it from his uh, his perspective. <laughs> oh no, actors. it's fine. It's a film podcast, man. Actors, pure things are absolutely fine. You can even say mise en scène if you want. Uh, it's e- all good. You join us here, extreme close up. Um, <laughs> so the book is very useful, and reading that and just having that in the back of the mind even when it's a scene that's not in the book or whatever just having that that commentary 
and his thoughts of what he would think of people and judge and judgment and the fear and of you know as much as he despises the general public as he puts it it's also yeah. what he's so scared of becoming because he feels, he feels himself as being an elite music kind of I don't know hedonist um, <laughs> I read John Ronson's the, the psychopath test mm-hmm. which is interesting I don't see Stealth Fox as being a psychopath I see him more as just a product of the environment is he a sociopath he does, is that what he, yeah, there's he has, a slight he, there's a distinction yeah, yeah, there. he has tendencies I mean he, he certainly doesn't have empathy or uh, quite a few of those things but he, he is still kind of vulnerable in a way so th- there's that and then and hanging out with John and I did meet quite a few A&R guys even people that I know are kind of loosely characters based on them which is really oh, intriguing really? yeah okay um, and just seeing how how they were and seeing how they responded to me and their general aura was, was fascinating <laughs> well I actually I said a second a few seconds ago that people might not want to be uh, related to Selfbox or I think at times there's a bit of pride almost but yeah it's, it's like mean, when um I think Gary Glenn Ross came out and suddenly lots of real estate salesmen wanted to be associated with Alec Baldwin's character we want to behave like that yeah, yeah so yeah. I imagine it's like this as well yeah I think from what I've been told there's one person that says that they're Stealth Fox that it's based on them that it's not it's nothing to do with them <laughs> and so they obviously yeah, I don't know what, what's going on in their head but it's that thing of I don't know fame by association maybe somehow and obviously the books and then the, and the film you know very heightened and embellished so no one's admitting to murder by doing that <laughs> they're just being like yeah I was the dude I ran around and, and partied hard and did that and blah blah yeah absolutely you've had a crack in your so far you've just finished Apocalypse and Mad Max Fury Road is one of the films we've absolutely adored this year oh thank um, you and that experience for you I mean for example that line uh, what a day what a lovely day that became that film in many ways it's said in the Empire office on a virtually daily basis really yeah <laughs> that's um, so funny in, in bad Nux impressions I have to say but you know, for you has that line taken on a life of its own have you heard it since the strangely movie it's something that I probably say more regularly than I even notice <laughs> I do just wander around going oh I never do <laughs> and, and not even think about it it is kind of cool for it to have taken on a life of its own particularly it was certainly that was never the intention or thought on set you know it was yeah. just purely in the moment of that character and everything so yeah. for it to become kind of a tag for the film and, and, and people to to take it on and have a, have a life of its own that's I've never experienced that before and it's yeah it's cool I like that <laughs> I, actually today I just flipped through Twitter not long ago and someone had sent me a dub smash of it and I'm really? a big dub smasher I spend a lot of time on the X-Men set when I'm in the Beast makeup uh-huh. making dub smashes or, or in just in life in general right. um, and, and someone that's the first time anyone's ever done a dub smash of one of my a line that I said so was uh, it just uh, was, it, was it someone just a, a regular no it uh, was someone smasher, also or? in full Nux uh, role play what yeah so no way yeah you gotta show me that was the Nux makeup a relief in a way after Hank after Beast once you're in it it's a lot more comfortable for sure around the same sort of time to do it they've got the Beast makeup down to just over two hours now it's always just good to do different looks it's a, it's such an amazing look it's an amazing film as I said and uh, yeah George was telling me that the Lovey Day line was recorded live it's one of the few lines of dialogue in the film that actually was held over from the live recording yeah nearly pretty much everything else was dubbed because it was so loud we'd never be able to hear what was happening but that one it lasted brilliant yeah. Nicholas Holt it's been a pleasure do you want to see us out with a jingle bom bom it's pretty good it's really difficult to not just imitate another song that was Countdown no that was that was Countdown yeah. that would be Countdown it was kind of really similar and I panicked halfway through and was like you're doing Countdown and I'm like and then now maybe it was Countdown just slower it was bum bum ba da bum 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 
it's different. I, obviously, it's music close. isn't my strong point, <laughs> which is perfect for this film. Well, no, I was watching TV the other day, and this is completely random and off on a tangent. And you know when there is a jingle at the end? Yeah. The jingle at the end of, I can't remember what the, it was advertising, but their jingle was literally, I'm sure someone got paid a fortune for writing that. And I heard it, and I was like, it sounds like the person who, who got paid to write that jingle literally just went, give me the money, and that was it. I couldn't stop laughing. I, I, I recorded it, went back and listened to it numerous times. I've got it on my phone. I was like, how is that? How did they let that as a jingle? It sounds like you're just taking the mick out of someone. It's, yeah. It sounds like the noise you make in the playground when you've like... How is that good advertising or a good jingle for your company that you? I'm guessing you want people to spend money on? It's worked. It's stuck in your head. It's worked for me. You recorded Although I can't remember what it was. Uh, you say that. Probably in your house you got 55 for the product. You just get the new truckload of stuff. <laughs> I've pulling up today. Time supply. <laughs> of whatever the product of is. Whatever that was. <laughs> winging its way to me. Nicholas Holt, Jingle King, thanks so much. Thank you very Cheers. much. The last time Nicholas Holt was here, there was a snowstorm and we feasted on a cake made of brains or a brain made of cake. One of the two. That's true. I remember oh my that. God. Yeah. I remember that. That's proper. He brought, he brought the cake along? No, we'd, we'd got it earlier in the day. Okay. But to promote the film, oh, okay. obviously, Warm Bodies. And did he have some of it? He did, yeah. It was delicious. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, Nicholas Holt there. He's, a, a, he's very nice. He's very nice. Right. Movie reviews. Mm. There aren't so many movies this week, are there? What with Spectre basically coming out on Monday and being expected, rightly, to essentially steamroller all other films in the UK this week. Yes. Um, because that's what happens with Bond movies. I've, but I've never seen it like this. Usually, you get someone who counter-programs something against uh, the big juggernaut. Even Star Wars is opening up against Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Sisters and the Peanuts movie as well. But Spectre just has... Them, they've been running for the hills. You know. So there's, there are a couple of films that are going up against it. Mm. Helen's going to talk about them very, very quickly. Uh, one is very good. It's Black Souls. Helen. It is, yeah. It's uh, an Italian crime movie. It's a sort of story about three brothers and, and and a son and the family relationships basically in this in this crime syndicate in this crime family I wouldn't say it's like it's not a godfather type epic it's more like Gamora, I would Gamora, say, yeah. a little bit more of that kind of modern uh, Italian edge. A little bit Sopranos-y at times, though, you know, a little bit sort of wannabe Sopranos almost. But it's it's a very kind of oppressive, almost claustrophobic story with, with them all kind of caught in this life, in this world. And attention kind of does keep up and keep you going. So, so mm. yeah, really good performances. We gave this four stars. Four stars, indeed. And it's also four stars for Under Milk Wood, which is Kevin Allen, brother of Keith Alan, uh, his adaptation of the Dylan Thomas poem, the epic mm-hmm. Dylan Thomas poem, which has now uh, been adapted into a film starring Lisa Vance and, of all people, Charlotte Church. I mean, you can't say she isn't Welsh. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's broody and body and kaleidoscopic. And she's very good, Charlotte Church, in it, actually. So there. So suck it. We gave that four stars as well. So the thing about those two films is that it's going to be very hard for you to track them down. I think they're going to get very, very limited releases this week because of the Spectre juggernaut. Now, of course, we reviewed Spectre on last week's show. We gave it four stars. Really intrigued to see now, now that's open, what people are thinking about it and what people are saying about it and how people are reacting to things that happen within the film. We do have a spoiler special uh, lined up for Spectre. I did talk to Sam Mendes uh, for quite a bit of time 
about the movie, but we're not going to release that until the movie is opened in the States. So it's out in the States next Friday. So the spoiler special will either be up around Friday or more like the Monday. So Monday the 9th of November, that's when our spoiler special for Spectre will be up. Uh, and we'll get into everything we couldn't talk about last week. And speaking about spoiler specials, this week Chris McQuarrie came in. We've been hoping that he would for, for ages. Uh, he's finally had some time in his schedule, a lot of time in his schedule, as it turns out. He came in to talk about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I sat down with him and we talked for almost, I'm not kidding, three hours. It's an interview that not only answers every question you had about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, but possibly every question you had about every film ever. It's an astonishing interview. Uh, he is fantastic and we will be holding that until the movie's out on Blu-ray. So that's going to be the early, I think the first week of December, something like that. We're going to put it up now. We're probably going to put it up in its entirety or close to it without us, the, 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 the idiots, talking about the film afterwards because that would be too much. But do let us know what you think. I would be very interested to see, do you want to listen to two and a half hours of one of the greatest screenwriters of our age talking about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation or do you want the more conventional Emperor Podcast Water special? Let us know. I'd be very, very intrigued to see what you think. I was very impressed you did the whole interview hanging onto the side of a plane as well. So <laughs> that was, you haven't mentioned that, but that, yeah. that to me was the most impressive aspect. I mean, it made yeah. the sound recording a bit of a nightmare, but I feel like you know we'll be able That's to edit That's why it took three hours down. for just yeah. to... That was know, just one question. Writing all the questions down on a bit of paper. It's just how I get to work, guys. It's just how I get to work. I don't like to make a big deal about it. So, yeah, so sorry about the, the brevity of this week's review section. Normal service will be resumed next week. We guarantee it. In fact, idea. actually, November is an incredibly busy month for movies, so I think we're going to be... Oh, yeah. If anything, talking more than usual in the reviews. I have an idea. Why don't we all recommend a spooky film for listeners to watch this Halloween? Good idea. I caught Housebound. I've been wanting to watch it for ages, but Housebound, this new, newish, I think it was actually made a while ago, but it came out here a bit later. Kiwi horror comedy, which is fantastic, mm. and I recommend it. Peter Jackson, uh, no less, recommended it as one of his favourite films of this year, and it is delightful. I won't say anything else about it because it's got some lots of twists and, and turns in it. It's directed by a guy called Gerard Johnston, and it's, it's very funny. It reminded me of The Frighteners, which is one of my favourite films. So it kind of has that that kind of tone to it. It's very silly and it's got an amazing definite. Cool. Fantastic. I really want to see that. So mm. let me the disc if you have it. Will do. I believe it's, <laughs> I think it's on Netflix as well. It's on Netflix. Perfect. I've got a Netflix subscription. This is good. Other streaming services are available, of course. Uh, Hell's Bells. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I recently rewatched Monster House, which I have a huge soft spot for. So mm-hmm. I might say Monster House. If you haven't seen it, it's an animated horror movie for kids. But it's it's really steeped actually in a lot of horror classics. There's a shot that's directly lifted from Stephen King's It that opens the film like just absolutely a deliberate homage. And it's I just think it's really delightful. So I like that. So I would say Monster House because I'm a bit of a wimp and I don't want to recommend anything actually scary. <laughs> it's a bit scary. It's just you know kids well, scary, not scariness scary. is obviously subjective. And I think yeah. more so than than comedy in a weird way. Someone a few weeks ago tweeted us going, "I want you to recommend a really scary film." for Halloween something that'll really scare my girlfriend I was like well, I don't know mm-hmm. if I can because if I recommended say John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness which is a film I deeply deeply love to someone they might look at it and go it's just a bit daft isn't it it's, it's Alice Cooper running around killing people with a bike and nonsense about metaphysics what the hell is that that's not scary but you know equally I might find something laughable and someone mm-hmm. it might yeah. make someone jump yeah, out like something. Yeah. Cube terrified me and most Cube's people a good one. Yeah. and sometimes a PG can 
scare you a lot more than an 18. Uh, I just watched Night of the Demon, the, the Jack Tournay oh, old yeah. movie, sort of basically inspired by Casting of the Runes. And yeah. that's a PG. And admittedly, the, the demon in it looks like the Chewitz monster from yeah. uh, the old Chewitz ads, <laughs> but there are shots in that which are which are really freaky. There's one where the guy is being chased through the forest mm. and you see the hoof prints of the, the demon in the, the kind of the grass behind him. It's, it was yeah. ste- steam hissing off them. And I don't know how they did it. The demon was actually uh, added against a Tournay as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 It would have been yeah. better had it not been in it, frankly, but it's still a, a scary movie. Absolutely. Basically, any, well, not any, but I mentioned Superstition earlier on. That's a fun little haunted house film. Go and check it out. Don't necessarily hunt down any of the ones I mentioned earlier on, The Medusa Touch and Harley Quinn and The Evil. They're all largely terrible. <laughs> Although The Medusa Touch does have a creepiness to it. But listen, it's Halloween. Don't go wrong with a John Carpenter triple bill. Seriously, just get any of the great John Carpenter horror films and just put them into triple bill of your own designs. Halloween, The Fog, The Thing, and yes, Prince of Darkness, and put them together and it's, and you will you will not go wrong. Maybe avoid uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which I watched this week. I and do for the like first that time, film. and it's it's great premise, not so well executed. Not so well executed, but it does have a certain yes madness. Going it's got Vigo from Ghostbusters too in it. Does it? Small role. Yeah, he actually plays a kind of goodish guy in it. Wow. Yeah, yeah and um, there's a fascinating piece online about him. Actually, I recommend it. I think it was on. I've forgotten which site it was on, but it's on uh, myself and Nick's Twitter threads at the moment because yeah. we were discussing it yesterday. So uh, yeah, he's got a, if anything, a more terrifying backstory than, uh, <laughs> than, than Vigo, Vigo the, the Carpathian. Carpathian. Yeah. So yeah, do have a read of that. Oh, and of course, I've been banging on about Halloween three all through the podcast. So watch that as well. If you haven't seen Halloween three, do check it out. Let's go watch it now. Let's go and watch it now because that's it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Won't be scary film-related fun. Uh, I won't be around actually I think Helen you'll probably be in the hot seat for that one or no longer can we review Inspector as well I think <laughs> by that point I will be joined by Saoirse Ronan star of Brooklyn hooray and you see my accent got a little bit thicker already Saoirse just Ronan. saying her name Saoirse Ronan Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. Ronan but until that momentous moment it's goodbye from Helen toodaloo it's goodbye from Nick goodbye and you know what now it's time to say goodbye say goodbye no. say goodbye now it's time to say goodbye Empire Podcast see you next week Thank you.